Awesome. All right. We'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Brian Strandies. Brian has 30 years in medical sales, 20 as an owner of a distributor of orthopedic implants. He has now three, almost four years. I saw three years in the 11 months. In staffing, recruiting for accounting, finance, administrative, project management, operations and construction, business services, and engineering industries. He has a lovely wife who is a native, uh, three sons in Cherry Creek Schools. He is the chairman of the Planning and Zoning Commission for Greenwood Village. You have a lot of extracurriculars. He coaches football, basketball, baseball, and soccer, <laughs> and is a small business advocate. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Jane. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. This so is the first question. It's always the same. What was your first job? Great question. My first job was mowing lawns. I grew up in a town of 3,000 people in rural Connecticut, and um, we had some neighbors who had daughters. And I had an older brother who had had this job until he got a real job. And <laughs> I inherited it when I was about 12 years old. And oddly enough, it used to take my brother four hours to do this job and he'd get paid two bucks an hour. So it was $8 total. I got it done in two and a half hours. And when I consistently did that, the guy who was paying us came up to me and said, you know, I think I'm going to pay you the same because you do the same work, but you should know that if you do it in two and a half hours, not everyone's going to pay you the same. So don't kill the job. <laughs> That's awesome. So you were an entrepreneur. Winning. Um, I just, I have a German immigrant father who um, it was not uh, really allowed to not work. Mm -hmm. So that's a strong Prussian work ethic and we didn't have a choice. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, we didn't have a choice either. I mean, yeah. if we wanted stuff, we had to go find a way to make it happen. My dad was big on the three halves or the two halves. He would say, if you pay half, I'll pay half. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I was 12, I was earning money to go to Joe Namath football camp mm -hmm. um, up in Dudley, Massachusetts. That was my goal. And he, it was like 150 bucks. So I had to come up with 75 bucks. And at $8 a pop, it was a lot of lawn mowing. So it's a lot of lawn mowing. Yeah, my parents did the same thing. Like I wanted to go to Spain in high school. And they're like, come out with half of it and we'll pay half of it. Right. Well, I think it's really important for people to have skin in the game. Um, otherwise, they don't really have a value based upon uh, mm -hmm. or on the on the product or, yeah. or, you know, the service or kind of if you get your kids something. I make my kids, my oldest just bought AirPods. Mm. Um, and the person at the Apple store said he was the first kid that he'd seen in two months who'd come in and actually paid for himself. And he was counting out nickels and quarters and all kinds of different things in order to pay for them because <laughs> they're like 150 bucks. But, you know, I think it's really important. He'll take good care of them. Yeah. My son wanted to play the trombone. And we're like, okay, well, we have to rent something. Right. That we'll have to pay for if you jack up. So he pays for half of the rental. Good. Just out of his allowance or mm -hmm. whatever. And um, every month I'm like, it's the 15th. Where's my half? And he's like, okay. <laughs> it's like the money came out today. Where's my half? Um, and he's taking really good care of that trombone because he's... Got yeah. some skin in the game. I, I am a big believer in that. Huge so. skins. Huge believer. Okay. So Great that's my first job. Awesome. So you spent many years in sales and then transitioned to ownership of a medical supply company. Yes. We distributed orthopedic implants. What did that transition transition look like? How do you go from sales to ownership? Um, you know, I had known the people who had, I'd worked for them for four mm -hmm. years. Then I went oh. and worked for Stryker and Genzyme. And then I came back. Um, and asked them if they could have another partner. Um, you know, it was a real challenge for me from the standpoint of 
I, these gentlemen were a little bit older than I was. Um, they definitely had some different business ideas than I did, but they had a, a good distributorship that was doing about a million dollars in sales. After we had been there for 15 or 18 years, you know, it was at 10 million. Um, the hardest part about it was understanding how to become um, more of a business owner than a friend to the people that we employed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's certain challenges that you have associated with that. You have to, in a lot of ways, keep a little bit of distance in between you, um, at least in my experience. And I have three employees now. Um, and I think I treat them a lot better than I treated people back then as you grow older and mm -hmm. kind of understand how to motivate people. Mm -hmm. um, that was probably the hardest thing is to understand that they're not your friends or your employees. Mm -hmm. It's definitely different. Yeah. Um, so what was, so that was that one of, what it was one of the greatest obstacles in growing the medical supply company? I would say it was having to wear all the hats. One of the things that we weren't big fans of was um, outsourcing things. And this, I became an owner in 1998. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we didn't outsource anything. Um, I did the accounting. I was a payroll guy. I had to figure out which healthcare we'd buy. Um, and we had up to about 12 sales reps around the state. Mm -hmm. um, and our job was to go and work with them. I hated payroll hated it. So I would put it off. I screwed up the 941 a couple of times. And so the government penalized us. Um, and it didn't even matter to my partners because they didn't want to do it either. But they were a little bit less, um, I don't know, we were doing well financially, but they didn't want to spend any money on an accountant mm -hmm. until we did our taxes. So, you know, it was QuickBooks away. And it was, uh, that was the hardest part. And I didn't understand back then that if I didn't want to do something, didn't mean that everyone else didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably the greatest realization that I've honestly had in the last three years is that, you know, I don't have to do all the different things. I started out doing that and I had that mentality. And now I don't do really much recruiting. I'm kind of a sales guy still. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do, I outsource my taxes. I outsource my payroll. I outsource my marketing. Everything's outsourced. And I give it to people who are really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. The hard part for me, like I said, was that I didn't understand if I didn't like something that other people actually liked it. They looked at it like a puzzle or like a, you know, something to figure out, uh -huh. a crossword a or lot. a numbers puzzle mm -hmm. if they're accounting. And, that, you know, that realization allowed me to um, be free enough to, to actually do that and outsource stuff. That's awesome. I yeah. Love, I love I love that little that little nugget because, you know, we deal with business owners all the time that just won't hand over the accounting. I'm like, why do you like doing this? No. Why do you feel like you have to? Well, it's QuickBooks. I should know how. Do you have an accounting background? No. Then why? Yeah. And I think that a lot of times one of your jobs as a, as a outsourced accounting firm is to, you know, educate the people. Hey, listen, you're really good at what you do. Go do that. But you're, yeah, do that A, because you're good at it and you won't screw it up. Mm -hmm. And B, because you'll be happier and more productive yeah, and make more money. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If you took that time and just went at your billable. Yes. Like how much more money could you make? Way more than you're paying me. We're not, I mean, we're not cheap. You could probably still make more money yes. <laughs> than you're paying us. Yeah. Um, so, and I always am just like, why are you fumbling through the thing? I don't get it. I don't know. I think people are stubborn and it's kind of an old school individualist mentality that if I can't do it, then mm -hmm. I should know how to do it. Mm -hmm. A. And I think, um, and I love Intuit and we use pretty much in all Intuit products, but QuickBooks and QuickBooks and TurboTax is trying to teach people that they can do their thing. Like yes. that's just been the message for a really long time. I think that people get and really why, 
You don't need to be doing that. There's plenty of us who like to do that. The other thing is if you screw it up, it's really can be very painful. If you ever want to have a business um, loan or if you ever want to what? sell your business or have someone invest in it, you need clean books. And you're going to pay for it on the back end if it's not yes. right because I'm not slapping that into a tax return. That's not happening. No. It's going to cost you a lot less during tax, tax season yeah. to, for us to fix it than it will be for you to actually get it right, right the first time. I totally agree. I think especially when new businesses are starting off and they have to categorize things and just set up your system. If you set it up right, it's a lot easier to work with and it for trained. the rest of the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, we happily do that too for some of our clients. Yeah. And, and listen, it's not that you want to do it, but I like to understand why things are categorized the way they are. I'm just oh, totally. curious naturally. And, yeah. and, you know, in case it ever did happen where I needed to enter something, um, then I think that's interesting. But other than that, I don't do any of it because I, I'm not good at it. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, I outsource, outsource my payroll. Mm -hmm. We don't do payroll. Um, and I outsource my payroll because I don't want to do it because it's a lot of compliance that I just don't want to deal with. Yeah. And it's not cost effective. No. I can happily go make that money somewhere else. You do way better doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so you bought 10 to 2 almost four years ago. Yes. Um, what made that industry? What made that industry appealing to you? So, ten to two does staffing. Yes, or... it started out as permanent part-time staffing, mm -hmm. um, and uh, four ladies got together about in two thousand three and had a great idea that there's some underutilized resources out there, mostly moms who mm -hmm. stayed at home and could work from ten till two, drop their kids off at school and pick them up. And you know, they were marketing, they were sales, they were accountants. They did all the different things that normal people do, but they just wanted to have a lifestyle that allowed them to work half time. Um, so they started out permanent part time. Uh, you know, what I decided was after I knew that my medical career was over, I decided that I needed to continue to do th something. I'm not independently wealthy. I have three young children and I, I'm not really good at sitting around. So I looked at a plumbing distributorship an electrical contractor and making caramel for candy, actually. Caramel, that's These cool. These are three businesses I investigated pretty seriously before I decided to buy this one. And it was kind of happenstance. One of my neighbors has a beignet party every, um, every year, and we were over at their house, and another neighbor actually had just sold his staffing company mm -hmm. the year before, about six months before. So I started talking to him, and then I started investigating the industry, and I said, okay, well, this is a growing business, going to grow five to seven percent a year if i can grow in a growing industry i can do okay mm -hmm. so i started looking for a staffing company i thought this one had a unique proposition um and you know just bought it and started going i love it yeah so you've grown it from 10 to 2 to also 9 to 5 so you guys are doing part-time staffing and full-time yes so about two years ago now uh, maybe 18 months ago, a friend of mine um, whose kid I coached in flag football and basketball came to me and said, hey, I uh, work for a big company that does about 80 million in um, earth moving and wet utilities. Mm -hmm. I need a controller. Can you do that? Do you have the ability to find me one? Well, I didn't really know, but I knew that I had good people. And so um, I said, I don't know, Steve, I'll find out. So we went back and talked about it. And um after that, the, after we did about a two-month search, um, we were uh, competing against a company called EKSNH, mm -hmm. the old, now the new plant Moran. And <laughs> they, um, out of the last three people that they interviewed, two of them were ours, and one of them was from EKSNH. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That's when I knew we could do it. 
And so we ended up uh, placing that person and four other accountants at that company. Oh, wow. Um, and now we're working for an AP person. So, you know, it's been a great relationship. But when we found out that we could do that, mm -hmm. I thought I'd like to be diversified from a revenue stream standpoint. If we can do full-time staffing, some part-time staffing, and then do a little bit of recruiting, we can serve our clients better. The other part about that was when we did a survey, I bought the company and one of the first things I did was surveyed the people in our database, the employees, potential mm -hmm. employees. 70% mm -hmm. of them that had come in as part-time people wanted to do full-time work. Their kids have been older since it started in 2003. You know, they're in college, they're in high school, they have the time to do that. A lot of individuals were... Um, penalized or a little bit behind the schedule on their finances from 2007, 2008, and they wanted to do a little catch up. So the employees wanted it. The market right now is such that people aren't hiring a ton of part-time people. They're hiring full-time people or they're getting staffing. Um, so, you know, that kind of dried up to a certain extent. Our employees wanted to do full-time. So we said, okay, let's serve the employees and serve the clients. I love that because it gives that transition from those part-time people who want to go full-time. You yeah. can transition them to either a better fit or the same, the same yes. company or whatever. That's awesome. So, so now we do stage. about 40% is part-time, probably 30% is full-time staffing, and 30% is placement as far as our revenues go. That's awesome. So how did you find your industry niches for 10 to 2? Great question. Um, I like construction people because they're relatively simple. Mm -hmm. um, so in my medical career, I sold to a lot of orthopedic uh, surgeons that are mostly ex-jock guys who mm -hmm. were smart, mm -hmm. but really enjoyed that field. Um, I also sold to um, cardiovascular surgeons, heart surgeons, and some neurosurgeons. Not so much the sports guys who were smart, but just the smart guys who were smart. Mm -hmm. um, I find I relate better to people who are a little bit simpler. Mm -hmm. um, we don't do a lot of IT because I don't understand it very well. And I think that there's plenty of people who do, the, do mm -hmm. that uh, field very well. So, you know, construction, manufacturing, engineering, it started out because the guys, the people that I knew mm -hmm. um, were in that field and it's just blossomed from there. The way that I uh, first started to get my clients was I coach a lot. Mm -hmm. And as you said, uh, the people who live in Greenwood Village, whose kids I coached, a lot of times are C-level people or own companies. Mm -hmm. um, I went out to them initially when I bought this business. I said, listen, I don't really, quite frankly, know what we're doing. I mm -hmm. have some really good people underneath me. Is there an opportunity for me to compete for your business? It's not going to cost you anything. And you know my values mm -hmm. um, that I've taught your kids for the last three or four years in, in every sport I've coached them in. And they gave me a chance. So I'm very, very thankful to them for that chance. That's awesome. So you guys um, do a lot of accounting. Do a please. lot of accounting. We do a reasonable amount of admin people. I mean, That's just cool. I need an admin assist. I need um, a person, a receptionist. Mm -hmm. um, for a big engineering company, we found a couple of HR people for them. That was through a friend of my wife's mm -hmm. who um, is a JR engineering. Um, you know, it's, we do a lot of things. The best thing that we're, or the thing that we're best at is matching cultures. So I spent a lot of time with employers and um, both the employee, hi the hiring manager, as well as some of the employees and companies. And visit them and spend some time and figure out what their culture is. There's, it doesn't matter if you're a web kind of team organization where accounting talks to manufacturing, which mm -hmm. talks to sales, or if you're a little bit more siloed where they never really interact. But I want to figure out what person will thrive in that environment. Are they kind of a solo person or do they need to be a part of a team? 
or do they just want to check into work and then go home? Or do they have an aspiration to go from being an accounting manager to a controller to a CFO eventually? So we talk a lot to our employees and figure out what their aspirations are. We talk to the uh, companies that are going to employ them and find out what their culture is and where they want the people to be. If they want a young and up and coming person or an established person with a lot of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we match them. That's awesome. So there's no like, oh, you know, it's a personality fit or whatever. It's culture to culture. Yes. To create, to create that good bond. Yes. That's awesome. So, you know, one of the things we talk about is that God either gives us skills or not. Mm-hmm. Right. We have talent. Um, experience just comes with time. Skills we can learn, all right? If you have a reasonable brain, you can learn whatever skill there is. But culture, how you show up, how you serve your clients, what is important to you as far as being a member of a team or not being a member of a team, I don't think that changes. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I made plenty of hiring mistakes when I was in my last business. I don't think I've made very many now, but um, I would hire people and I would become attached to them. Mm -hmm. They'd be my friends. Like I said, that was one of the drawbacks that I had. And I wouldn't understand that they just were not meant to do the job. In my experience now, I understand that people, if they're not meant to be at this company, just turn the page and move on. Yeah, It's better for them in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I know it's better for the company in the long run. Yes. I love it because if you don't have a culture fit, things just don't work. No. And that's okay. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It's it's like a marriage. Listen, sometimes, you know, I think uh, you fall in love because of chemicals. All right. You stay (laughs) in love because of a choice. Right. I mean, it's just, the way I look at stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're like, we're going to just, we're going to stay employed as a choice here. (laughs) Yeah. Because we work together well. I understand how you work. We understand how we serve our clients and we both serve the mission of the company. That's awesome. I love it. So, uh, we're kind of jumping around a little bit. So what, so what are some of the biggest obstacles you overcame with Tended to after buying it? Well, I think the biggest obstacle I overcame was, you know, I had a lot of relationships in the medical field. I didn't know anyone in the business world. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know any business owners. I didn't know. I went to hospitals, surgery centers, and doctor's offices. That the hardest part was kind of getting ingrained. So I joined a BNI group and I joined a master network group and I joined a lot of different groups um, that didn't work out very well for me. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out Where's my tribe? Mm -hmm. Where are the people that I can serve and that can help serve me? Mm -hmm. Find me clients, find me employees, as well as um, just be sounding boards for different ideas that I had or how to get out of a jam or a different way to tackle an obstacle in my way. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was probably the hardest thing was understanding that, you know, it just takes time. You have to serve people in order to be served. Mm -hmm. And the biggest challenge that you're going to have is just getting out there and understanding, um, you know, a how to serve people and b, who, where's your tribe? Where do they hang out? That's and that's so. I think a lot of business owners don't realize they need to find that tribe. Yes. Like we can't just you know put up hang a shingle and people are going to come a lot of the time. Like no. you have to know people, and you have to have the ability to you know network and create create relationships. Yeah. Um, I do find that's one of the biggest obstacles is trying to, you know, explain to people like, where is your business coming from and how do we get, you know, how do we create those mentorships? And, you know, and I always say I have plenty of people in my life that are just smarter than me. Like, yes, <laughs> that I that I ask a lot of questions of or run stuff by because I have to have that feedback or nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to grow. 
yeah, I can't figure it out. I'm in the forest all the time. And there's other people who look at it from 30,000 feet above me and can see the path. It's two steps to the right people, around yeah. the corner. Yeah, and, and it's really helpful. Like, high, high view people. Yeah, I Show mean. Me the things and I'll high view it for you. Exactly. And I think one of the greatest things we're both involved in three to five, one of the greatest things about that is people look at stuff through a different prism. Okay. We mm -hmm. have an attorney, we have an accounting firm, we have a, a marketing company. We have a lot of different views of the same problem mm -hmm. and we all have different prisms and we would all solve it differently. A lot of times in my experience, the, um, the hardest thing to understand is that all you have to do is ask for help. In my experience, entrepreneurs are kind of rugged individualists. They have an idea and they want to drive it forward. Mm -hmm. They're not very comfortable listening or being transparent or admitting that they have some, you know, blind spots. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a group like that, where it's not just accepted, but expected for you to be completely transparent, um, it's been a great environment for you to learn. The other thing you learn very quickly is just because you have that question, inevitably there's four other people in the room that have the same question that are either too scared to ask it, don't even know that they have that problem mm -hmm. or, um, you know, just don't understand that they're going to run into that problem. Mm -hmm. And I always, I run into business owners all the time that are, that are like, Oh man, we dropped the ball on our accounting or we dropped the ball on our tax returns and whatever, like, don't judge me. And I'm like, I'm sure I'm dropping something, some ball in my business that you are like rocking. Yes. So just because this is your like this is your thing doesn't mean I don't have my own things. Like it's a judgment free zone because <laughs> A, this is not your thing. And B, I'm sure I'm dropping the ball something else. You like Yes. You totally, wanna talk about that? Totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, we all have our blind spots yeah, we and totally we all have our strengths and weaknesses. I think the key that the other thing I've learned in three to five or from interacting with different business owners is I don't have to have a mini me. I don't need a mini me. Mm -hmm. I'm me. Mm -hmm. What I need are people who are really good in other areas of my business, um, an accounting firm, mm -hmm. a marketing firm, mm -hmm. someone who kind of can work on processes that I'm not comfortable with. So I'm going to enter data. Um, I'm not very good at any of those things. I'm reasonably good at talking to people mm -hmm. and getting out and being, you know, uh, yes. just social. But other than that, I don't have a lot of strengths. So <laughs> I have a lot of smart people who have a lot of strengths around me. I love that. I love that. And it's just so integral to get, yeah. to, get to where you want to go, to have that group of people, regardless of how you create them or, you know, what that looks like for yeah. you. I love it. That's awesome. I like that. So... I just want to talk about this because you have some eyes in the private accounting business. Um, so talk to us a little about, uh, about how you see private accounting changing in the next five to 10 years. That's a great question. You get, to, you get to sit on the edge of that. And no, I love to talk about how accounting is changing. So in my opinion, I, I really believe that the lower level accountants are going to be gone. Oh, it's going yeah. to be strategic accounting. That's mm -hmm. the only place we have AI and we have computers that can kind of scan stuff in and recognize it for what it is. Um, or be programmed to recognize it for what it is, and they will take care of a lot of the entries. Mm -hmm. um, I Machines have a good, coming. Yeah. I have a good friend of mine who um, works for GL um, Properties, mm -hmm. and it's a giant warehouse company um, that has a second, I think, to Prologis. Mm -hmm. Logis, sorry. Um, they just outsourced about 70 jobs in AP and AR. They didn't outsource it to an accounting firm. They outsourced it to CBRE. CBRE does this for you know, a thousand different real estate companies. Mm -hmm. They can invest in the infrastructure as well as the software in order to do it really, really well. You know, it, it, tasks will go away. Mm -hmm. They just won't, we won't, we don't need people to do tasks for us. Mm -hmm. We will need people to strategize for us and help us discover new ways to do things. But 
simple tasks like data entry and um, a lot of the APAR things won't be around. So if you are in one of those positions and you would like to continue to be an accounting person, you better learn strategy or mm-hmm. how to figure out finance or, or some other way. Or forecasting yes. or, I mean, just something. Yeah, because the other parts are going to go away. We're just going to have programs that do them mm-hmm. and it won't be available. I love it. That's And that's how I see things changing too. So I just find that interesting. Is that your take on it as well? Or that is my me? take. Um, you know, we we spend time, um, you know, trying to automate as much as possible. I love technology. I love processes. I love systems. Um, and yeah, I see more automation coming in the accounting industry. So it's either adapt or die here pretty yes. soon. Grow um, especially with the tax stuff. I really think that super soon... AI is going to be doing our tax returns too, you know, and it's going to be all about that strategy. And if you don't have that the ability to to shift and change, mm-hmm. um, it's just not going to go well. We're well, for example, for you, small small people, die, you know, small firms die. How many businesses have you recommended go from an LLC to an S corp? Fear depends on how it fits, but right, it depends right. upon how it fits. But there's certain um, tax advantages now with a new tax law that allows S corps to. Well, um, yeah, but now with the new tax stuff, like. You know, do we get more QBI over here? Do we pay right. less over here? Like, it's just, there's just so Shifting. many moving pieces now. Yeah. I mean, there's more, I mean, there's already already moving pieces. They're just different pieces now. Right. So it's been really interesting to, you know, see how these things are impacting people. Mm-hmm. How the tax cuts and job acts are, you know, impacting our clients. I just did my own tax return and I'm like, crap. Um. So, you know, and how that's going to affect how we do entities now. Yes. I mean, because now we have flat tax on the C-Corps. At twenty one percent, when we had like a multi tier, and now we've got S corps, which get some QBI and some don't, and now right. we've got like all these different thresholds, and so it's not a getting less complicated. More, yeah, no, <laughs> which is what we'd all really like. <laughs> they did not. They did not create less complication in no. anything. Job security. Job strategy person security, like yourself. Security, absolutely. Yes, I know, and so it's how do you look at these things, right? So I'm in a lot of tax forums. Um, and there's, you know, there's a set of people who are just like, I'm out. Yeah. I, I can't, can't do it adapt. anymore. You know, I can't adapt. And then there's some of us that are just like, hmm, okay. So how does this affect that? And how do we get this to change this? And how do we, you know, how do we move the pieces? Because right. it's all about the strategy and it's always been about the strategy and about proactive planning for me. Most accountants don't think like that though. Yeah. You know, most private. Most are backward looking. How can we react to this? You're like, how can we proactively plan for this so mm-hmm. that it minimizes the implications of it? Right. Or at least you know what it's going to look like. Yes. At least it's not a surprise. Prepare. <laughs> no surprises. Tax season no. is what I'm always going for because making those phone calls is not fun for me. Awesome. Okay. So before I ask my last question, what what is the easiest way for people to find you? Um, they can find us on the web at 9to5search.com mm-hmm. or 10 till 2 Com, awesome. Um, or they can call our office. Okay, cool. And we'll we link everything in the okay. description box, so all good to go. So final question, what is the number one thing you wish people understood about hiring or staffing? That's a great question. I think the number one thing that I've learned in my three and a half, four years of doing this is that it really it's about the culture. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, we can teach people things if they're reasonably bright. And we all had to learn sometime or another uh, how to do all our different jobs. So if you find the person that doesn't have the exact set of skills you're looking for, 
but they mesh with you values-wise, cultures-wise, aspirations, where they want to get to and how they serve their customer, mm -hmm. you should hire them and teach them how to do the rest because that is the simplest way to have a long-term employee that is going to eventually pay you back. I mean, dollar-wise, as well as someone who you can work with and trust and count on. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest challenge that I think people without culture have is that for an extra dollar an hour or $5,000 a year, the person's just going to move down the street. Mm -hmm. People don't quit jobs. They quit managers. They quit and bosses. that's really, really hard for people to understand. You need to have a great place to work. And you don't have to be their best buddy, but you have to plan out for them. Okay, so today you are the AP person. Your next step is going to be you're going to be an accountant. Then mm -hmm. you're going to be a senior accountant. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to be a controller. Mm -hmm. And this is our path we see for you. Mm -hmm. It's not a dead-end job. I think a lot of uh, younger people especially get into a job and they're like, I'm not moving up this year. I'm having a challenge here. Well, if you talk to them about it and say, hey, listen, it's probably going to take a year to 18 mm -hmm. months before we have an opportunity for you to open up mm -hmm. where you can move up. Or instead of that, if that doesn't happen, I want you to go to training. Mm -hmm. I want to send you or pay for a course or mm -hmm. do something to make yourself better so that when that opportunity does come up, you are entirely prepared for that. It used to be where um, communication was not a priority mm -hmm. for managers and it was kind of top down. Now I think it's got to be didactic where you interact with your employees and make sure that they understand where they sit and where they're going to go, mm -hmm. what their path is. Because people won't wait around. They'll get frustrated and they'll leave and you'll never know why they left. Right, because you won't ask that question. No. Because you don't want to know. <laughs> because you're not a great manager. No. And, you know, what's, what's the job of a manager? Make the other people's job easier. Mm -hmm. Get out of the way. Make sure that they have all the tools and, um, you know, resources that they need to accomplish the goals. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have them, figure out a way to get them to them. Yeah, I think I think that's always the huge thing is, you know, am I supplying what my people need? And so a lot of the time it's just like, did I miss something? Do you need something I didn't give you? Because you're constantly asking me the same question or, you know, right. you're asking for input on this. Is there something that we need that you need that I that I haven't given you? Yeah. Uh, and it's asking that question instead of just answering the question and then not realizing that they're missing a tool or yeah. a piece of knowledge. And today's a lot different. It's not so much I need a new set of pencils. It's I need this software. I need a new computer. I need to have access to, you know, the people that I work with, they need headphones and mm -hmm. they need wireless technology and they need the ability to interact like the employees that we're looking for or customers. You have to be mobile, mm -hmm. right? Uh, probably 70% of the interactions that we have on my websites are mobile. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't care what my desktop looks like, how I look on a desktop. I care how I look on a mobile device. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, it's the shifting of yeah. culture. And you either grow or you die. <laughs> Believe me, it's been painful, my growth. Um, I'm not as good at technology as I like to be, but you can hire that out and figure out who's really good at it, mm -hmm. um, whether it's you with accounting or Steve with um, a lot of the different podcasts and, and you know, marketing material mm -hmm. um you just find out who's good at it and go with contract with them awesome i love it okay thank you you're welcome thanks thank for coming appreciate it hey y'all thanks for listening if you found this podcast to be inspiring helpful and entertaining please like and subscribe this helps us grow the community and reach more people 
If you are interested in learning more about this episode's guest or accessing any of the books or other resources mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the description box below. Until next time, be abundant.